Well, turn on the TV and chances are you'll find at least one renovation show airing at any one time. I mean, think about it. Just to name a few. There's house rules, uh, grand designs, house hunters renovation, uh, fixer-upper, uh, ready, set, ren, and of course, the block, which has now won the Logie Award for the most popular reality program, a grand total of six times. Yes, apparently watching a run-down, dilapidated house be transformed into a sparkling, desirable gem never fails to satisfy. And I get it. I mean, there's something very impressive about seeing the extraordinary things those blockheads are able to achieve. But if you think that's amazing, it's got nothing on the kind of renovation God delights to do in the lives of us Christians as we'll see in today's passage. Of course, we're currently working through the book of Ephesians. So if you don't already have a Bible open in front of you, can I encourage you to grab one now and turn with me to the second half of Ephesians chapter 3. And today's passage is essentially a prayer. A prayer by the Apostle Paul for the Christians in the city of Ephesus. A prayer that God would renovate them to be all he wants them to be. So far in his letter, Paul has laid out for these Ephesians the extraordinary things God has already done for them. In his great plan to bring everything in the universe under the headship of Christ, God graciously chose to save them before the creation of the world. Then he sent Jesus to die on a cross to redeem them. Now he's forgiven them and made them his very own, Jew and Gentile alike. Not because they deserve it, but because of his lavish grace and kindness. Yet truly, these Christians have been showered with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And it's with these wonderful truths in mind that Paul now pours out his heart in prayer for these Ephesians, that God might continue his good work in their hearts. Hear read with me from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now in the Bible, of course, naming something or someone indicates your authority over it. We saw that in Genesis, didn't we? Uh, with Adam naming the animals and even his wife, Eve. So here, God's naming every family is, is a picture of his absolute authority over everything in the universe. But of course, he's not just a powerful ruler to Paul. He's also the loving father who cares deeply for his children. And it's with this wonderful thought in mind that God is both powerful and loving that Paul now makes the first of his two prayer requests. To begin, he prays that God might strengthen the inner being of these Ephesians by his spirit, that Jesus might make his home in their hearts. He read with me from verse 16. Verse 16, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So what exactly is Paul praying here? Well, he's, when Paul prays that God would work in the Ephesians' 
inner being, he's talking about the core of who they are, their, their hearts, their, the centre of their, their thoughts and their will and their emotions. And his prayer is that God might powerfully work in their inner being. Why? That Jesus might dwell in their hearts. Now, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? I mean, surely Jesus took up residence in their hearts through his spirit at the moment of their conversion, right? So why then would Paul pray that Christ would now dwell in their hearts? Well, it's because he longs for Jesus to really make himself at home there. Here, let me see if I can illustrate. Before marriage, uh, I lived all alone in my very own bachelor pad, uh, decked out just the way I wanted it. Uh, with this uh, ultra, ultra cool poster of, of skydivers adorning the lounge room wall. And uh, this, this ultra chic German beerstein sitting in its place of prominence. Then I got married and Beth moved in. And from that point on, things mysteriously started to change. One day I discovered that my ultra cool skydiving poster somehow made its way into my office out of sight. Next thing, lo and behold, my ultra-chic German beer stein suddenly found a new home on my desk. And there were all sorts of other changes around the house too, like, like fancy cross-stitched handiwork suddenly hanging on the walls and flowers and teacups and pot plants and throw rugs all over the place. You see, though Beth had already moved in, over time, she transformed the house into a place she could really call home. Let's face it, the whole place looks a whole lot better for it. Though I might have one last try at getting this little baby back out on display. We'll see what happens. Well, it's kind of the same here in Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. He's praying that Jesus would make himself at home in their hearts. Because you see, when we first become Christians and Jesus moves in, there's a whole lot of work that has to be done. And not just decorative stuff, but major renovations. I like the way author C.S. Lewis uh, puts it in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. And that's now Paul's prayer for these Ephesians, that God would transform their hearts into a home fit for Jesus. Not that this is some kind of hostile takeover we're talking about here, no. It's not as though Jesus comes in and moves in and starts knocking down walls against the will of these Christians. No, the fact is, they cooperate with him. 
as they learn to trust his love for them. Which is why Paul now makes his second request on behalf of these Christians, that they would come to know the immense love that Jesus has for them. Of course, they've already experienced God's love in their lives, haven't they? It's love that stretches all the way back before time itself, that time when when God first chose them for salvation. And it's the same love that compelled Jesus to exchange the, the glory of heaven for a shameful death on a cross. Yeah, these Christians are already planted firmly in the soil of God's love, so to speak. But now Paul prays that they'll be able to truly comprehend the enormity of God's love for them. Hear, read with me from halfway through verse 17. Verse 17, Paul says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Of course, you can't really measure love, can you? No, it's not like we ever speak about 10 kilograms of love or 20 bucketfuls of love. You can't get out a tape measure and determine how, lo- how big love is. It doesn't work like that. But, but Paul uses this metaphor here to help his readers get his point praying that they'll come to, to really grasp the, the metaphorical width and length and, and height and depth of God's overwhelming love for them. It's actually a really beautiful way to picture God's love when you think about it, isn't it? Like a, a great big ocean stretching in every direction as far as the eye can see. But if Paul's prayer includes a metaphor... It also includes a paradox, did you notice? He prays that they'll know Christ's love, which surpasses knowledge. It's a paradox. What does Paul mean by it? Well, he's saying that Jesus' love for Christians is so big that, that no matter how much of it you come to know, you'll only be scratching the surface. <laughs> that there's always more of it to discover more of it to experience, that it's inexhaustible. And again, that's such a wonderful thought, isn't it? But notice the purpose of this second prayer request. Paul prays that these Ephesians will grasp more and more of Christ's great love for them, that they might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Or put another way, that they might become all that God wants them to be as mature, Christ-like Christians. That is, that he might get those heart renovations that he's after. But how does that work, do you think? I mean, how is it that as, as these Christians comprehend more of Jesus' love for them, they become more mature? Well, I think it's actually the same principle we see at work in many of our relationships. So, for example, it's well known that the unconditional love of a parent is is one of the most powerful factors in the healthy development of children and teens. And that when love is withheld or 
made conditional on the child's behaviour, it can cause all sorts of problems. So, for example, studies show that when children feel the need to fulfil their parents' expectations in order to receive their affection and approval, such as in the case of tiger mums or authoritarian dads, young people certainly are much more likely to act as their parents want them to. But, but as a result, they also tend to resent and dislike their parents. It also leads them to be quite hard on themselves, uh, failing to accept themselves for who they are and to forgive themselves for their own mistakes. And it can cause an array of problems in their relationships with other people th throughout adulthood, including their own spouse and their own children. Now, it's in the context of a parent's unconditional love that kids thrive and develop into well-rounded, mature adults. And we see this uh, principle in romantic relationships too, don't we? Of course, there's nothing worse than pursuing someone romantically when it feels like it's a totally one-sided thing. It, it leaves you feeling in, insecure and anxious. But when you truly know and experience the love of the other for you, well, that changes everything. Now, suddenly you can freely admit your failings without fear of, of being shamed or judged. You know, you, can, you, don't, you don't feel like you're going to have to always prove yourself. Instead, you can feel at home with the other person. And it becomes a joy to sacrificially serve that person instead of a mere duty. Your unconditional love, you see, it, it gives the relationship stability and, and it enables maturity. And according to Paul, it's the same for these Ephesian Christians. Uh, the more that they discover the enormity of God's love for them, the more mature Christians they'll become, the more, the more rooms of their inner being they'll open up to him to renovate his way. But just in case all this sounds just a little too pie in the sky for these Ephesians, just in case they're sitting there you know, thinking, oh, God could never really make a palace out of the, the fixer-upper that is my life, Paul finishes his prayer by praising God as the one who can do much more than we can ever hope or, or even imagine. Because you see, that's the truth. He is more than able to change these Ephesians into the people he wants them to be, into, into people whose lives bring him glory. Here, read with me the final verses for today from verse 20. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Can God really bring about the amazing renovation he envisions in the lives of these Ephesians? Absolutely he can. And it's with that wonderful encouragement that we've reached the end of today's passage. So what have we seen? We've seen Paul pray for, for an extensive renovation in the hearts of the Ephesian Christians. Praying that as they come to know and experience God's love for them and surrender to him, he'll make something beautiful 
out of their ramshackle hearts. In fact, he'll make them a, a, a palace fit for none other than Jesus himself. And so friends, what, what about us here today? What do you think we should take away from this passage? Well, I think it's pretty obvious, don't you? Because the fact is now we are part of God's great plan to bring everything under the headship of Christ. And now we have been rooted and established in his love, having been chosen for salvation long before creation. We too have been redeemed and forgiven by Jesus' death on the cross. Now we are God's people, whether we're Jew or Gentile. Now Jesus has taken up residence in our hearts and it's those hearts he now wants to renovate to his own liking. So how do you think we should respond to all this? Well, for starters, I think we can celebrate. Celebrate, rejoicing in the fact that, that our renovation is now underway. Of course, the highlight of those TV renovation programs comes in the moment they start showing those before and after shots. Don't you agree? You know, there's something exhilarating about standing back and seeing the transformation of the kitchen or the bathroom or the backyard. And I think as Christians, it's sometimes worth us stopping and considering the work that Jesus has done in our lives. Now, I know that there's still lots of work to be done, but I wonder what evidence you can see in your life of Jesus making himself at home in your heart. You know, what... what Rusty, leaky sins as he replaced with shining new virtues, so to speak. I mean, do you ever just stop? Do you ever just stop and consider the ways Jesus has made you to be more like him? Now, I know, I know the changes aren't always as fast as we want. But, you know, if there are any changes at all, praise God. Praise God, because... Because that's the power of Christ at work in you. And it's worth celebrating. It's worth thanking God for. I like how Southern Gospel band, the Booth Brothers, put it in one of their songs. They sing, I know I'm not the man that I ought to be. Many times I fall short of what you want me to be. And I'm surely not the man I really want to be. But I thank God. I'm not the man I used to be. And God's transforming power at work in us is something we can celebrate in our lives and in the lives of the Christians around us too. And that's why in the coming weeks, I'd really love for us to hear a few testimonies during our spotlights here in Zoom Church. Because I'm sure you'd agree, it really is just so encouraging to hear how Jesus has been working in us. But of course, we don't want the changes to stop now do we because although we're not the people we used to be the renovation is still not complete and we don't want to be like uh, the folks up the street from me when I was growing up where uh, they started a renovation and and stopped halfway and that's exactly how the place stayed for the next 35 years before it was finally torn down and sold you know, it was sad to see something that had, had such a great start not come to fruition. So we want to be continually 
opening the renovations God wants, being open to the renovations God wants to do in our, in our lives, being soft-hearted when we hear his word taught. We want to be uh, quick to confess our, uh, our faults uh, when he shows them to us. We want to be eager to uh, listen to and obey his commands. Friend, do you ever feel like there's been a halt in the renovations of your inner being? You know, as you think about your own heart, are there rooms that perhaps you've closed off to Jesus? Perhaps, perhaps in discouragement, you, you've, you've hung a sign on, on one of the doors that reads, don't bother. Because in your opinion, that room is simply beyond fixing. It's just too far gone. In other words, it's this sin in your life that just seems so ingrained, you've given up trying to rid yourself of it. Well, friend, let me remind you that ultimately, the renovation of your heart, it's God's work. And he is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or whatever you can even imagine. According to his power that is at work within you, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So don't lose heart, friend. Instead, rip down that don't bother sign and, and ask Jesus again to transform that part of your life, knowing that he is more than able to do so. Or alternatively, uh, perhaps uh, you've got another sign on a room or two in your heart. Uh, maybe you've got signs that say, keep out. You know, rooms, you're hoping Jesus will keep his hands off. Rooms filled with, with sins that you're just not prepared to give up. Greed, lust, laziness, uh, anger, whatever it might be. And so you want those dark rooms left as they are, smelly and filthy though they be. Well, friend, if that's you, I want to remind you of one thing. I want to remind you that, that Jesus loves you. Dark rooms and all, Jesus loves you. In fact, he loves you with a love beyond measure. And nothing will ever, can ever change that. But it's exactly because of his great love for you that Jesus doesn't want that sin to stay in your life. Like a, a renovator removing asbestos, he only wants to fix it for your good. So when he comes knocking on that door, friend, he hasn't come to condemn you. Rather, he's come to, to flood that dark room with light and, and to make it into a place of beauty. So don't keep that door locked and that sin hidden any longer because Jesus loves you and knowing that changes everything. I mean, think for a moment. Think for a moment, friend. What, what difference would it make if you truly grasped the enormity of Christ's love for you. What difference would it make in your life, do you think? I mean, surely prayer would suddenly be a, a privilege, wouldn't it? 
instead of a, a duty. You know, it would be, be time with your best friend. And surely serving him wouldn't leave you resentful like with an authoritarian dad or tiger mum. Instead, instead, it'd be a great joy. Nothing he'd ask of you would be too much. In tough times, you wouldn't turn to food or, or shopping or sinful pleasures for relief. You'd find comfort and peace as you lean on him. When temptation comes, surely you'd run the other way, wouldn't you? Not wanting anything to come between you and him. And in those times when you find yourself stuck in that same sin again, you wouldn't despair. You'd simply confess it to your loving Heavenly Father, knowing that he'll never send you away. Yeah, surely to, to really know, to really understand, to feel the, the love, the great love that God has for us, surely it would transform our whole lives, wouldn't it? So this week, friend, I encourage you to reflect on God's love for you, to take time to, to revel in it and, and to rest in it and to, to remind yourself of it every single day. Now, Karl Barth uh, was one of the most influential Protestant scholars of all time, and uh, he spent most of his life studying Christian theology and writing extensively about it. Now, one day a young student asked Bart uh, to share the most profound thought he had ever gleaned from all his years of theological study. Bart smiled and replied, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So even with all of his wisdom and knowledge, Bart never lost the wonder that Jesus loved him. And friend, Jesus loves you too. So when he picks up his tools and sets to work in your heart, let him have his way and trust him to make you into the person that he has designed you to be. Let's pray. Well, our Father, we want to thank you that we can call you our Father, that you love us so deeply. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us, to give us new lives with you. Thank you for your commitment to make us more and more like Jesus. Father, help us to grasp just how wide and long and high and deep is Christ's love for us. And as we do, help us to surrender more and more to him. We give you thanks for the work you've already done in us, Lord, and, and pray with confidence that you will carry it on to completion. To your honour and glory we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.